This episode of Talking Wild Madness is brought to you by Adam's new novel, Bird, which is available in good bookstores everywhere or online through Amazon. Welcome to episode 99 of Talking Wild Madness. The scene of music in the background is uh, from the upcoming movie, Edward and Isabella. Uh, we are probably 90% through a rough cut of the edit, and we are we have one trailer behind us, and we have, no, that's it, one trailer done, and 80-90% of the rough cut. So we're on the way. This scene is Edward and Isabella, the titular heroes, uh, going for a walk in up Bluff Knoll with um, some Italian opera, which somehow unbelievably works in the film. So uh, this is called Nova. Oh, I can't remember the name of it, uh, but it's coming together very nicely. So the editing process has gone incredibly well so far. Myself and Talara have been working at it and learning as we go. And the process has seemed to have brought myself and Talara together uh, closer. I heard there, uh, if you want to get a, a bond going between men, it helps if they work on a project together, like fixing a car together or, or building a car together or whatever. So myself and Talara have been building the proverbial car together in the form of uh, editing this film and it's super enjoyable it's very very nice today uh, I was working on this scene here up Bluff Knoll and Talara was practicing uh, Claire de Lune behind me just moved the piano into the editing room yesterday uh, and she is going to be playing Claire de Lune we're going to record that. We're going to put that behind a scene in the film where Edward and Isabella pickle a jar of eggs together. So all kinds of madness is going on at the moment. But in celebration of episode 99, I, uh, I thought it would be fitting uh, to, uh, to quote a, a, a great poet of the 20th and 21st century. And uh, this is a song by a, a man named Jay-Z, and it's called 99 Problems. And the chorus uh, is, if you're having girl problems, I feel bad for you, son. I got 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one. And I'll just read the first verse, uh, the first stanza, if you will. I've got the rap patrol on the gap patrol, foes that want to make sure my casket's closed, rap critics that say he's money, cash, hoes, 
I'm from the hood, stupid. What type of facts are those? If you grew up with holes in your zapatos, you'd certain you'd celebrate the minute that you was having dough. I'm like a fuck critics. You can kiss my whole asshole. If you don't like my lyrics, you can press fast forward. Got beef with radio. If I don't play, they show. They don't play my hits. Well, I don't give a shit. So rap mags try and use my black ass so advertisers can give him more cash for ads. Fuckers, I don't know what you take me as or understand the intelligence that Jay-Z has. I'm from rags to riches, niggas. I ain't dumb. I got 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one. Hit me. 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one. If you're having girl problems, I feel bad for you, son. I got 99 problems, but a bitch ain't one. Hit me. I saw an interview where the uh, this, the rest of the song uh, is actually when Jay-Z is talking about a bitch ain't one. He's actually talking about uh, a sniffer dog in the back of a police car that's coming to give the police probable cause to open up his uh, locked trunk that has uh, what he refers to in his trunk is raw. So I'm, I'm imagining that's probably, um, I'd say that's drugs and not meat, unless he was in a certain area of America where raw meat was illegal, but I don't think he probably was. Um, it reminds me also of the song by Bob Marley, No, no Woman, No Cry. And I understand the significance or the sentiment of, of both of the songs um, that relationships can obviously be very intense and cause tremendous amounts of anguish and, and pain. Um, but obviously, it's kind of like exercising, I suppose. You, you have to endure uh, a certain amount of pain in order to, in order to live well or live right. Um, so yeah, I don't even think I have 99 problems. Um, and, uh, although I certainly wouldn't refer to Talara as a bitch, but she certainly isn't one of them. She has, um, has, has elevated my, um, my day to day, uh, across, across almost every measure. So. The thing now, the great thing about making this this film is that it spans a long, long period of, of time. Not the actual film itself, but the making of the film itself. Uh, I am someone who gets bored with things quite quickly. So the idea of, say, playing music three or four times a week, performing three or four times a week, which I used to do when I lived in, in Perth, um, it is horrible. The idea of doing that to me is, is it's just not how I'm uh, put together. And I don't enjoy that. Now, maybe if I was getting paid tens of thousands of dollars per gig, I might enjoy that, but I don't know. I don't think I would. I think after a certain point, um, I think after a certain, if you're doing, if you're getting paid $10,000 per gig um, and you were doing four gigs a week, that's $40,000. Is that is that $2 million a year? I think after a year of that, or after certainly after two years, I don't think I want to do that anymore. Um, and it's the same with writing. I, I don't like to write every single day, but I do enjoy dipping in from time to time and playing from time to time. I had a gig last night at Wilson's Brewery, which was really really nice. And my new friends Georgia and Ronan 
who uh, Talara has brought uh, in, into my existence, came along to, to the gig, so it was nice to see them there. Um, but the beauty of filmmaking, especially when you're doing it from scratch, from start to finish, is that the art form incorporates so many different art forms. So although you're working on the one project, uh, it's over such a long period of time and it, it incorporates so many different forms that it feels new every time you do it. So, uh, you know, you sit down. I remember I was on a train from, uh, I think it was Frankfurt or it might have been in Berlin. No, I think it was Berlin to Poland with Tom in January last year and I had the idea that I was going to write a, write a screenplay and make a film. So uh, that's where it began, that rumination of, okay, how are we going to make, what are we going to do? What am I going to do this year? Uh, I needed to do something big because it was the first year where the custody of my children was became shared with my, with my ex-wife. So I went from being a full-time dad to a 50% dad. So I had a lot of new time uh, on my hands that I didn't have before and the last thing I wanted to do was to spend the week off when I wasn't with my, my boys I didn't want to be in my empty house staring at the ceiling going insane so I thought I needed something large I need something big to, to fill the hole and I thought let's do something insanely preposterous and make a film so you're on the you're on the train you're on this you're on this German train about to go into Poland. I don't know who owns the train. I don't know if the Poles own the train or the Germans own the trains. Um, but if you want them to run on time, hopefully the Germans had something to do with them. And historically, obviously, it was good to be on a train in, in Poland. And historically, it was there were certain times where it wasn't. Luckily, it was good on the times I was I was there. When we crossed over the Polish border, we had uh, soup in the dinner cart, uh, and it was about. I can't remember the currency in, in Poland. Uh, we ended up calling them Zlobs Lobs because it, it was too hard to pronounce. Uh, but if you, I think we made a few podcasts in Poland. If you, if you go back through the archives, you can, I think, maybe 33 or 34-ish, around about there, there might be some podcasts from Poland. And maybe I might be talking about this. So the ruminations of the, the idea was, began to bubble. And then we, we myself, myself and Tom, um, we stayed in the old city. We got an Airbnb, very, very affordable one, right in the middle of the old city. It's absolutely gorgeous. And then we were went down there to take a, a day trip to go visit Auschwitz and Birkenau as, um, as tourists. But I started writing the screenplay for Edward and Isabella in when we were staying in Krakow. I think we were there for maybe seven, eight days. Um, food in Poland is incredible. I, I'd highly recommend that. I think it was better than the food in Germany. Uh, anyway, so the next three, four, five months, however long it was, I was preoccupied with writing this screenplay, packing away the screenplay, putting it together. And compared to a novel, a um, screenplay is uh, it's relatively small. I mean, a novel, 70, 80, 90, 100,000 words, 250, 300 pages, uh, whereas this, a screenplay can be about 90 pages uh, for an hour and a half movie or 120 pages for a two-hour film. And obviously the word count is, is it's almost minute compared to, uh, compared to a novel. I, can't, I haven't 
I, I don't have it in my head, the word count for the screenplay, but I, I'd be surprised if it was over 20,000 uh, words. Maybe, maybe I'll check it out. Um, so you can dip back in and out. You can kind of casually, is languidly the right word? You can languidly, I don't know if languidly is the right word, but you can write a screenplay at your leisure unless you have a deadline, which I didn't. And that brought three months of of um, mindful preoccupation with with the project in in that writing form, and then I finished. And then you go on to casting. Then you got to put out the casting call, and that is probably the most for someone who hasn't done it before, which I hadn't. Um, that was a lot of fun. That was a that was an eye opener. Um, I went on four or five uh, Facebook actor sites and just put out ads and saying, look, I need looking for someone late twenties, early thirties, male and female for, for independent feature film. And I got bombarded, swamped with uh, videos and show reels uh, from people. I must've, must've been over a hundred men and women uh, send me their uh, audition tapes. Uh, I found it very, very hard to say no to people. I found it really difficult to to let people down and say no, not what we're looking for. And then there was this pretense of uh, we, you know, this the company, the producer, because I was I, I I was the producer, and there was no one else. Um, so when I say we, I really mean myself. Um, but I found it hard to to. That was a difficult part of the process, but the rest of the casting was a lot of fun. And then, of course, you I, I whittled it down to three male leads, and I picked uh, Chloe Harris was just far and away the, the best choice for the film. So we did a, what was called a chemistry test, and I drove up to Perth one weekend, uh, 400 kilometers away, and I filmed on my iPad, I filmed Chloe running through a few different scenes with three different actors, one of which was Daniel Barwick, who ended up getting the part. Another was a man called Renato Barretti, I believe. I'm not sure if I've mispronounced that, uh, Renato. Sorry if I have. And Renato ended up being in the film as the psychologist who's the off-screen voice for, for some three or four scenes throughout the movie. So he was brilliant, uh, and hopefully he'll be in the next film, Frank and Frank. Um, that we filmed later this year. So the casting was the next part. Then there was the scheduling. Um, in in real uh, in movie speak, you're you become a line producer when you schedule out the film. I think I believe that's the, the phrase. And then I became a line producer. So then I had to go through the script and break all the scenes down into different. These are all the indoor scenes. These are all the outdoor scenes. These are all the scenes that take place in this location. These are all the scenes that take place over here. So I ended up breaking the film down. And what I thought I had written was a screenplay that took place mostly in my house. What I ended up having written was I had 36 separate scenes to shoot. Um, and, and maybe 12 of them were in the in my home uh, at, that, that's where the, the movie is set and the I had about 24 other scenes that took place outside then I had to go and organize all these uh, places to go and to go and shoot um, 
begging, borrowing, stealing, and, and asking for favors. And uh, people were super generous, were very, very cool. But I didn't, that was the other part I didn't like, was having to ask because I, there was virtually no money. I couldn't pay anybody for anything other than the actors. Um, so I didn't like having to ask all the time. Um, but anyway, we got, got through that. Then it came time to shoot the movie. So you're still working on the same project, but you've gone through all these different forms um, and I had to learn how to work a camera because the cameraman that I had organized ended up pulling out um, very close to shooting day. So I lost my my DOP, my director of photography, and I had to become the director of photography. So I had about two weeks, I think, playing around with the camera that I bought, which was uh, a Panasonic GH5, which is an amazing camera. Uh, and it looks like a Japanese tourist camera from the 1980s, but it shoots like a monster. It's a really, really good camera. And it's very, very cheap. It was only $2,000, um, and the lens was $500. Uh, so I had to play around with it. And I think we were, um, myself and Talara were camping in Denmark at the, on that week where where I got the camera and got my hands on it. So I was trying to work out how to operate it. Um, yeah, within a couple of weeks of, of the movie coming up, and then um, and then the actors came down. The actors, Chloe and Daniel, came down and they stayed at the house. We had maybe four days of um, where we could talk about the film and all the rest of it. I didn't tell them that the DOP had dropped out, so they were they were discovering that on the first day when I was behind the camera and there was no cinematographer in sight. And I suppose by that stage, it was too late for anyone to pull out and we were all systems go. So uh, ended up being the ended up being the cinematographer and being the director, which was a hell of a lot of fun and working, uh, working as the director with the, with the two actors was, uh, yeah, it was was really quite amazing. And again, we learn on the job. It's it's certainly it's the first thing I've ever directed, and uh, the first certainly the first film I've ever directed. I, I don't have a background in theater at all, so it was a case of just negotiating energy almost with 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 the two actors involved and my own energy and the two sound men who were working, Lockie and Kim and Talara was. Uh, the kind of showrunner, assistant producer, uh, slash caterer, uh, slash set cleaner upper. Uh, so it was just juggling everyone's kind of temperament and personalities and energies. And everyone else was obviously doing the same with, with everyone else as well. But there seemed to be this underlying uh, unspoken promise that we were all going to make it happen regardless of the conditions or regardless of the chances of us pulling this off everyone was just there to do a really professional job even if the job itself wasn't professional because it was it was such haphazard and it was a bit like a, a circus but i had spent the last three months probably the last six months listening to uh, my favorite directors being interviewed on on online Directors like Mike Lee and Scorsese and Woody Allen and Jim Jarmusch and uh, Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, and they all said the same thing, that uh, it's a collaborative exercise and you just have to uh, 
um, shit your pants and dive in and swim. You just have to, you just have to do it. There's no other way to make a feature film other than to make a feature film and expect it to be chaotic and expect it to be um, not exactly to go as planned. Uh, but that's just what you have to do. You just have to dive in and, and do it. So that was ringing in the back of my head all the time. And I suppose a similar version must have been ringing in the back of the heads of of the sound guys and and, uh, and, and Talara and Daniel and Chloe. Uh, and, yeah, we, we ended up doing probably a two-and-a-half-week uh, shoot, which when I, even, even when I say that out loud, I just think that's absolutely insane. We managed to shoot a feature film in two and a half weeks, um, but we did. We, now, whether it's a good feature film or not is is yet is, remains to be seen. Uh, but we, yeah, we managed we managed to uh, to do it, and uh, I'm looking forward to, to now. We're in the thick of the editing process. The editing process was a lot of fun. Is a lot of fun. Um, people talk about a learning curve being very steep, but the technology that we're working with, which is a free download, Adobe Premiere Pro, I actually I'm, I might be paying $12 a month for it or something. It might not be completely free, but for, what's that, three bucks a week, if it is $12, I don't even know if it is, but for the price of a cup of tea, well, less than the price of a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, um, I have access to the same editing suite that the Coen Brothers cut No Country for Old Men with. Uh, and to be able to, you know, to be able to exist in this in this life, and this life is insane and is absolutely bonkers nuts, and this existence that we are bubbling along with is, is really a very, very strange reality. But to be able to, as well as have all the madness, to be able to uh, sit down in, in this existence and and play for over a year on one project um, is really is, is quite incredible. Um, yeah, I'm, I don't want to use the word privilege because it's a bit weighted nowadays, but it, I mean, it really is such a... I'm just very, very grateful to be able to, to, be able to have... The opportunity to do this and it was a big risk i mean as well and it still is a big risk i haven't made any money from the film obviously yet because it hasn't hasn't um hasn't it's not finished yet but um i mean it was a huge financial uh risk i suppose or undertaking um, but it did it kept me sane at the same time and the transition from being a full-time dad, being a full-time single dad for, I think, over three years to going now to 50-50. It's been a good, it's been a good distraction, I suppose. Um, uh, I, distraction's the wrong word as well, but it has helped the transition of, of that um, very, very much so. Uh, what is interesting is people, other people's, view on the project and other people's um response to the undertaking just to, to to the undertaking some people are inspired by it and some people feel the need to um gently ridicule 
um, my choice for doing it. It's really quite quite interesting to see how how it reflects a person's belief and thought system, how they react to, to certain things. Um, that's also been interesting. That, that's been very very interesting. So the next phase of this of this mad project is to finish the editing, which should happen quite soon. Um, and soon, in, in this sense, is like another two or three weeks away. Uh, and then I have to figure out how to market the film, sell the film. Um, I'm not particularly looking forward to that aspect, but it, it, it might end up being, I have to say, I probably didn't look forward to many of the steps along the way. So hopefully marketing and selling the film will be um, just as much fun as everything else has turned out to be. I saw a short documentary on the Leyland brothers, who, if you're listening from outside of Australia, uh, were guys in the 70s who uh, jumped in four-wheel drives and travelled to remote, bizarre spots around the continent, around Australia, and would, would film their adventures on uh, 8 millimeter and 16 millimeter cameras, and they would play every week on, on Channel 9, I think it was Channel 9, or it might be the ABC. I don't know. It might be the ABC. And back in those days, that they were the like they were the first people to go and film these these spots. They were the first people to capture um, uh, rain rolling off Uluru, which is the giant uh, sacred rock in the in the middle of in the middle of, of the country. For anybody, it's like Australia's version of the Grand Canyon. It it's, it sticks out of the ground rather than rather than a ditch, rather than a hole in the ground that sticks out of it. Um, and they made their money off their first film that they made, which was uh, like a month-long odyssey of them going down the Darling River in a in an outboard motor canoe, a canoe with an outboard motor, and they made their money back by travelling around the country, showing it in town halls, um, a roadshow release, they called it. So if I can't sell this film, if I can't sell it to Netflix or I can't sell it to um, to show in the cinema, I, I might be coming to a small town near you, myself and Talara and probably Wilco and Jack Russell. Um, so we, we'll, we will see. We will see how we go. Um, the next episode is episode 100. I'll have to play uh, a song for uh, for Karen. We might play The Coast for uh, for episode 100 next uh, next episode which i think is going to be on tuesday uh, so thanks for thanks for listening and we'll see you next time